Welcome, everybody, to the GBO Podcast, where we're talking Gamecock basketball only, brought to you by Modern Exterminating. We know what bugs you. As always, I'm Sumter. And I'm Bryce. And today, we have Keith Allsett from Gamecock Pod Daily. Keith, how you feeling? Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. It's uh, always great to be with you. I love our conversations. I love the fact that we love Gamecock basketball, and that's why we're here. I mean, I got to be honest, I'm still down and dejected and disappointed. But I got to tell you, all these message board maniacs that think they know basketball, they love to take shots at Dawn Staley. Well, I got news for you. When you go 131 and 8, over a four-year period with the same group of players and you've done it one way. I mean, hindsight's always 2020, but these young ladies have exhibited more class. They've been called more names. They've been denigrated. Uh, they've played annually the toughest or one of the toughest schedules in the country. They've been great students, great members of the community, uh, great representatives of our alma mater, the University of South Carolina. I love all of them, and it broke my heart uh, for them. And, you know, I, I just think the class they've exhibited through everything is uh, has been amazing, and I wish all of them – Nothing but the best in the future. Yeah, Keith, I, I totally agree. I can't even – just – I love this team and this group of young women um, and and everything that they've been through. And, and I just don't get it. I don't get it every step of the way. Even Gamecock fans, I, I don't feel – appreciate them the way that we should. The, now, don't get me wrong. There's the, the the fams appreciate them the, the, this group the way that we should the 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 eighteen thousand of us that sell out the Colonial Life Arena do but but all the game cognition that was just tuning in who was just saying things like oh all Don Don's just gotta recruit some shooters and uh but, but you, you know that's what like 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 this team this team lost one game by four points to an elite performance by an elite player. This season, like what, what are you gonna? What else do? What more do you want from them? And and um, and so I love this team. That game was heartbreaking. It what the, obviously capping off the undefeated season would have been would have been the, the the cherry on top of their careers. But when you look back on it, the freshies are the best crew it, it are the best class of women's basketball players that we've had. And I, I, I doubt we get a group that comes in and loses only nine games, you know, in their careers, like nine games, they lost nine games, five of them in the same, in one season. I mean, I, I completely agree. And I think if you look back, you know, you can look at, Certainly some of uh, UConn's four-year runs. But Dawn Staley and, and this program have done things not even Pat Summit and Tennessee have done. And this was a historic run. You think about it, 
every year they at least went to the final four, yeah. right? Their freshman year, they breezed through the SEC and the SEC tournament and were the clear favorites to win the national championship that year. The following year, you have the miss layup and the miss tip in at the buzzer. Last year, you have a national championship, and this year, you shoot 20 more field goals attempts than your opponent. Uh, you outscore them on their bench 38 to 6. You get 46 points in the paint. And if you don't have, quite frankly, and, and Bryce, you were sitting right there. You saw Dawn Staley turn around to Fred Shamil when there was a bust on the post player not dropping down on the screen and rolls. If you don't give Susano those layups, even with Caitlin Clark's performance, South Carolina wins that game. And how many times did we get beat off the dribble by Clark just driving to the basket? Beal, I mean, Clark had a quick first step, and we could not keep up with her. And, he gave, and we, I'm not going to say we gave her the basket, but they couldn't get even close enough to block it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, some of those were bad rotations, I thought. It just it was frustrating because all year, every time in that game, was it three or four times we took the lead by one, but they would just go score again. And they're like this, we're waiting for the, we're going to have this breakout, we're going to have this breakout. Every time we scored, they answered, and we haven't seen that all year. We saw it a few times early on, but then it just kept on, kept on, kept on. And then when they would miss five shots, we'd miss seven shots. We'd get five rebounds, and we still couldn't score. I, and I don't want to be that guy that complains about the rest, but there were just some no calls on the I'll put, be that guy. The Clark push off. I guess, Keith, you almost popped a vein on your forehead after a few of those, after those no calls on those Seth Curry push offs. So uh, a good friend of mine's son was caddy cornered to us. So he was where Asia Wilson and Alicia Gray originally sat which was on the other side across from the Iowa bench or the Virginia Tech bench. And he heard me a couple of times. And, I, I mean, I, I'll just say it. I lost all respect for Dee Kantner. I thought she was supposed to be the best official in the country. When you look at the replay of Boston's first foul call, first of all, she was completely held was that the charge? One arm, yes. One arm. And they shoved The her. other girl completely body blocked her. And then as she got ready to catch the ball, they shoved her with two hands 10 to 12 feet off the, off the block. And then she takes one dribble in, and the girl flops, and D. Kantner calls a charge. And then the second foul – was a touch foul and so then she's out for the entire first half and then to start the second half they just make up a foul call yeah and guys mentally i don't think she ever recovered from that she did. but what's more alarming to me was all of the illegal screens that were set by iowa and all of the push-offs and travels by caitlin clark that were not called yeah and Keith, and Keith, Boston's second foul, like, like the first foul of the charge, I thought was very weak. 
We didn't get a – I was watching on TV. We didn't get a good replay, but the second foul was a loose ball that was going out of bounds. And and I don't know if y'all saw it in the stadium. Should have been a nothing but, burger. But right. It, y'all, y'all, here's how bad it was. Here's how bad it was. Rebecca Lobo thought it was a bad call. That's how bad it was. All right. Like she was like, Ooh, I don't think you could call it on her there. It might be the only positive thing she said. I mean, here's the thought guys. Was there just like South Carolina fatigue, even with the refs to where they just wanted to get Boston out and see Clark or am I making that up? Is there, I felt like there was some fatigue from those refs wanting us back on a crap game. I don't think they were actively trying to get Boston out of the game. I think they called some bad fouls, but like, but they definitely they definitely weren't putting Clark on the bench. That is that is for sure. It just got old. It just I got agree. Old. So at halftime, I'm watching, and D. Kantner is at the table with Ruko and Lo- and Lobo. And I thought Ryan Rucco was giving her the business because she kept shaking her head. And I think he was probably letting her know that those foul calls against Boston were not legit. And I could be totally off base, but I'm going to say this. I just thought the game was not called the same way on both ends of the floor all night long. The only illegal screen call I think of the entire game was on Victoria Saxton. Those girls were body blocking, extending their elbows, which is clearly an illegal screen. All the contact, totally denying the principle of verticality. That one play that was a critical play in the fourth quarter, a one-point game, Camilla Cardoso goes straight up in the air, which you are allowed to do, even in the restricted area if the ball is on the baseline. The player initiated the contact, went into her, and Cardoso was still able to block it without contacting her, and they called a two-shot foul and put that player on the line. That's where you need a coach's challenge because the principle of verticality cannot be denied there. I would love a coach's challenge. I don't know if that ever happened in basketball, but that would be fantastic. It, it happens in the NBA, brother, every night. Well, and then let's get to those pick and rolls. I think there was only one time all night that we had a post player come over and defend it, and we blocked, yeah. we tipped it enough to where it affected the shot for it to go off. Outside of that, it was clean all night, and we couldn't get over to it. What do you think the breakdown there was, Sumter? So it was clearly we were too focused on Caitlin Clark. And um, and and ultimately, we, we were too focused on Caitlin Clark that that so so whoever that they would set the screen and and both players, both the player getting screened and the player who was who was guarding the screener, both would go to Clark and make sure that someone was covering Clark before they went before they worried about the roller. And Serrano just 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 ate us alive. And I'll tell you what, Keith, you mentioned this a, a minute ago, but like that was the game. We talked about this matchup on our pod, on your pod, all last week. We talked about it a bunch. And I said all week long that we can win if Caitlin Clark scores 40 points. 
And uh, and we could have, and she scored 40 points, and we still could have won this game. The 40 points, it was why they won, but it wasn't why they won, if that makes any sense. The reason that they won is Serrano's 18 points. We didn't shut her down. If we had shut her down and just let Caitlin Clark score 40 points, we win this game by eight. And sometimes uh, I think we said that on the pod. Clark, yeah, I, I totally did. did. We I, just can't have one other person score 20. That's right. I totally did. That that that, that it doesn't matter. That, that that fundamentally it doesn't matter what Caitlin Clark scores. We just got to shut the rest of Iowa down. And we didn't do it. And you know, like it it, it allowed them to to get up on, on us in the first in the first quarter, and then it, it allowed us to not grow that lead in the second quarter when we played our best game. And, um, and, and, you know, and, and that's, and that was the difference in the game is, uh, is, is Serrano and her points. And, um, you know, she got into foul trouble, which got us back into it later in the game. But, you, you know, ultimately, I think fundamentally, that's where it is. The fact that we couldn't have, like, I'm the fact that we couldn't have shut them down is it. I'm literally just screaming at the TV, just run a box and one, you know, like, <laughs> Just just put Boston and and Cardosa or Saxon and Cardosa just down on the block and and just and and just let one person guard her and and just and just stack the paint kind of like what they were doing. Now, Keith, right, so who has the highest basketball IQ on the team? Aaliyah Boston. Oh, for Probably, sure. Yeah. Who who had the assignment on Susano? Aaliyah Boston. But who was not on the floor when all of that was happening in the I'm first here. half? Aaliyah Boston. You, you, you make an excellent files. point. You make an excellent point. All right. So all over Twitter, Keith, there were some hating going on on Dodd Staley in the coaching. Do you think that she got out coached in this game or did our players just not perform? Absolutely not. Um, look, in hindsight, would Dawn Staley – do a couple things differently, of course you would. But like I, I said at the top, when you're 131 and eight and you've come from 15 down against UConn in the Bahamas when they had page backers, when you came from double digits down in Palo Alto against Stanford when they were number two in the country, when you boat raced a, a lot of ranked teams by playing the same way, it's kind of hard to get away from that. I mean, because I think if you're reactionary and you say, okay, well, we, we've done this for four years, but now we're going to do something completely different. I, I think the players then begin to question your confidence in them. And I thought it was a lack of execution because – I saw it every time they did it, and Dawn Staley's turning to Fred Shamil saying, what is so-and-so doing? And then after about the third time, there was probably an explicative added in there. And then Zia Cook in the postgame, she broke it all down to breakdowns, they knew what to do. They had a game plan on the ball screens, and they did not execute. And to me, just like you guys said, and just like Dawn Staley said, you're fine with letting Caitlin Clark probably only get 35 because she got six late on the free throws, right? 
She didn't even touch the rim. If 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 Cesano is not rolling for you know six or seven point blank layups, I think she was six of eight uh, from the field. And so I just think it it was missed assignments, players on the biggest stage uh, in a bigger than anticipated role because Aaliyah Boston is not on the floor. And quite frankly, I was dis- I've was i been disappointed with Bree Beal the last two games. I don't know if she's injured, but that's not the defensive juggernaut that we've seen for four years the last two games. And uh, if it was me and I'm not a Hall of Fame coach, uh, I'm just an old basketball coach, I would have played L.A. more in the second half. Yeah, I would have so- played Breezy Hall more in the second half uh la man she played with the fire of a winner in the first half and and one thing that i think's gone unnoticed is something you talked about the box in one i was essentially switched to a box in one in the second half and they uh completely tried to take zaya cook out of the game and i thought she tried to force some plays and she and Raven Johnson had some very costly turnovers when South Carolina was making a run that instead of having a one-point lead or being down one, you could have been up four or six if you don't make those turnovers. So, so Keith, one thing – I first, I think you're exactly right. I don't necessarily think uh, Staley got outcoached. Um, I, I, <laughs> I think that – I, I, I definitely think that we failed to execute a little bit, um, but I do think she made one mistake and that there's, and, and it's going to go with something that you said as well, but I think she shouldn't have gone back to the starting five at the start of the second half. Um, I agree. So, so I get at, at the end of the second, I mean, I mean the best we played all night was that second quarter. And and she should have put Cardoso, Amihair, Raven Johnson, Cook, and Boston back out there. That should have been the five. And she should have let that be the five until she needed to bring somebody in. And just because what happened is that is that she put Saxon and Fletcher and Beal and uh and Cook and Boston back out there to start the second half. And we just immediately went back down 10. All the work from the second quarter, all the great second quarter just went away. And, and we just then were fighting from behind again, which we then came back from, you, you know, like again, but just all that momentum that we had built up, it just went away in two minutes with, with that starting five in. And one thing that I think got exposed in this game is something that's been true maybe all season, at least for the second half of the season that hasn't mattered because we've been winning, but that the second string is better than some of the first string on this team. And, and, and so, I mean, on, on, one, level, on, on one level, that's great for, for, for next season, you, you, you know, in, in that the backups are better than the seniors that are leaving, but, um, but, 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 and just, and, and not being able, and, and Dawn should have recognized that in the moment and should have let LA and Raven and Camilla Cardosa go out there and and just continue to put them away in the third quarter. 
I mean, I'll go all the way back to 2015, and I thought that was the case. I thought not having Asia Wilson, Elena Coates, and Bianca Cuevas on the floor, if you remember that tournament, on every single game, they would fall behind by double digits. Somehow they clawed their way back, <laughs> but they couldn't do it against Notre Dame in the national semifinals. And you have Alicia Welch, who was a tough, hardworking player, a lot like Victoria Saxton, a dog, did all the dirty uh, jobs and, and was the first really big time in-state player to choose South Carolina, but you wind up with her on the floor taking a jump shot, which was, let's face it, she was not hitting a shot outside of the lane, and she was not even a 50% free throw shooter. And, I mean, that's just Dawn Staley's philosophy. She wants a starting five, and then she's going to go with them, and then she's going to pl play the rest of the players. But I thought we had all the momentum going in at halftime, and then Fletcher, who just could not get in front of Caitlin Clark at all, um, and Saxton, you know, I, I, and Bree Beal, quite frankly, who missed layups multiple layups that did not even hit the rim coming off the backboard. It was scary to see how better the Iowa starters were than Saxton and Fletcher. And it was obvious from the start of the game and the start of the third, after those four possessions, something that you were talking about is. And let's give Iowa's coach credit. I thought she had a great game plan and then, they were screening, rolling hard, and so we expected the roll, and they set kind of like a flare screen for for the post instead of diving to step back behind a screen and get a wide-open three. Bang. And so I do think Iowa had an excellent game plan. Obviously, they have an excellent coach. But – some personnel and some lack of execution really cost South Carolina in this game for the first time all year. It was the first time I felt that we were truly outplayed all year. And I know that says it's not easy to hard to easy to say with you not winning. I mean, losing a game, but I thought throughout the game outside of a maybe five to seven minutes of the second and maybe two minutes of the fourth, we got outplayed the rest of the game. It it's honestly it's honestly a statement to how good this team is that they were in it as long as they were. Like I agree. like 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 they were that they were in it to the very. I, I I put a tweet out there about how every offense like like Iowa can't get an offensive rebound, and of course the one that matters goes bounces right to them. You know, like, like, if I mean, I mean, heck y'all, if that, if that offensive rebound bounces, it just comes, if, if Clark only hits the rim instead of, instead of hitting the backboard and it coming off with a lot of velocity and that goes to Boston or Cardosa, you know, we're potentially doing a different pod. Y'all, y'all potentially went to a game on Sunday. 
you know, and, and, um, but, but, um, but, but like they, they were in it to the last 30 seconds. Once Iowa got that rebound, it was over, but, but they were, they were still in this game till 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And, uh, and, and they got outplayed basically the whole game. And I'm going to give you this stat here. Okay. That was only their third live ball offensive rebound of the game. South Carolina had 24 live ball offensive rebounds. Wow. But you know what the biggest stat of the all, Keith? I got the biggest stat of the whole game. 77 to 73 is the biggest stat, brother. The second biggest. They didn't miss a free throw all night, and I believe we missed six. Four, not nine for 13. Okay, but and who missed a few of those down the stretch, Keith? Aaliyah Boston. And, and you thought she's missed them earlier in the, you know, in games, but and through all these SEC comebacks and especially those close games that we had on the non-con, when it came to clutch time, she would make the free throws, and this was the first time she didn't make the free throws. I don't want to ever say it came down to free throws, and we talked about it all year, Sumter, the modern exterminating. We know what bugs you, bug us this week. If we would just made our free throws, it would have been a tie 20 game. more field goal attempts than Iowa. You should have won the game. The missed layups, missed free throws. If you match Iowa, who was 14 for 14, if you're 13 for 13, that game's going to overtime. I like our chances with the Leah Boston in the game for five more minutes. How many teams lose to a team when they double them up in rebounds? I mean, you you rarely ever see it. It it takes a performance like what Caitlin Clark did. I mean, let's 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 like she was. We have to also talk about this. She was also awesome. Like, like she left it all on the court. She was incredible. But and wouldn't you take her going five of 17 from three? Like if I told you before the game. Oh, yes, Caitlin I would have Clark taken it all. I would have taken it all. Five of 17 from three. Wouldn't you take it? And three of those threes it. were just thrown up there without a look of the goal. I would I would have taken – I. I I, I would have absolutely – if you had told me her stat line before the game that, that she scored 41 on 31 shots, I would have absolutely – I would have been like, sign me up for that. We can win this basketball game. I would have taken it. But at the same time, it, it was still electric. The, the, the performance was still incredible. Um, and, and we were just fighting from behind the whole game. I want to give the one bright spot from our team outside of Cook, who I want to say put the team on her back. All yes, she did. But I don't think that no one doubted that was going to happen because she's done that all year. How about Raven Johnson? I mean, she was three of six from three, and a couple of those threes that went in late, that's the only reason why we had a chance till that rebound to be in that game to win it. And, and it's funny. It's funny. Like, like they were playing the numbers on, and and there's that clip of of uh, Clark waving her off and just being like, "I don't care if she shoots or not." She shot fifty percent from three, and she started hitting them, and they started guarding her. It, it, I don't know if it felt like it in the arena, but on TV, it felt very weird. Once once they started just leaving her open, it felt very off and awkward to where like. 
okay, I'll just start shooting threes. And she started making them, which which was the offense that we needed to be running because they were stacking everybody else. So I thought there was too much hesitation throughout the game from South Carolina's guards when all five players were packed back in and Dawn is trying to call a play and there's nobody even at the free throw line. They're all like within 10 feet of the rim and even under the basket doubling our post players to just dribble into the lane and pull up and take a 10 or 12 or 15 footer that's wide open. I thought Fletcher could have done that. I thought Raven could have done that. And that's playing basketball. And I I thought the inexperience showed, but uh, Bryce, I'm with you. Uh, Those threes Raven Johnson hit were absolutely huge and it just all came down to that one rebound on a brick three that hit off the backboard and then bounded off the rim and we didn't get it like I said one of three live ball offensive rebounds the entire game for Iowa and it was just a backbreaker because then you had to foul yeah, and uh, we, we've been talking about Cook and, um, and like, in the first half, um, you, you were talking about her guard, the guards being afraid to shoot. Cook wasn't afraid to shoot. And uh, and, um, and she really just was, like, what we, she, was, she was pushing the – she would push it, which was great. She was getting to the rim. She was taking folks off the dribble. And it, it's, the, it's, the best, it's the best half of basketball, the first half – is the best half of basketball she's played in her career at Carolina. And, Gabby uh, Marshall had no answer for her in the first half at all. I, I I saw the mismatch, and I was telling the people around me, that girl cannot hold Zia Cook by herself. And I think they saw it, and Cook just took over once Boston went out. 18 of her game-high 22 points in the first half so much that Iowa then went to the box and won. And so then it was not one-on-one when she dribbled to the elbow or the circle where she likes to go. It was not one-on-one when she went to the baseline. She was run into a double team every time. And I thought that was another great adjustment by Iowa's coach. This was yeah. give credit where year. credit's due on that. I feel like this was the first game all year that we saw that we were short one guard. Yep. We needed one one more guard that can make a 15 to 20 foot footer, and we didn't I mean, have it. I think Breezy Hall could make them. Well, she wasn't in. Right. I know she wasn't in. Yeah. It's just, we were short a guard. No, nobody was stopping L.A. in the paint in the first half. I'm telling you that, man. She played like a warrior. I, I cannot believe she didn't play more in the second half. I mean, I couldn't either. I don't know if if she was injured. She came out. She had like a towel or something wrapped around her neck. And the only time she played was when they took Boston out for about the last two minutes and a half of the third quarter. That was it. I was mystified by that. Back to Cook. Back to Cook. One thing that I want to uh, mention and it's going to lead us into something that I think needs to be talked about also. 
is that after Cook's first half, Cook has 18 points and Caitlin Clark has 19 points at the end of the first half. And literally, I, I just I almost had to mute the broadcast because all we could hear was, oh my goodness, thank God, thank God for Zia Cook, you know, or South Carolina would be out of this. And then, but but just everything they say about Caitlin Clark is just like you, you you know just just expected, and it's just like yeah, I mean Zia Cooks as like like Zia Cooks one of the ten best players in the country, you know like like what like she was a Nace she was on the Naismith watch list, like like thank God for Zia Cook, be prepared, it, uh, it, y'all be glad you were in the arena. The broad the, the broadcast was terrible, and uh, and it was all Iowa all Iowa centric and, and just Caitlin Clark could do no wrong. And it was just, it was amazing that, you know, Zaya cook was able to score 18 points. It was terrible. I thought what was really sad was that Aaliyah Boston probably wanted to cry after that game, but she knew she couldn't because that would be all that would be shown on ESPN for another year. And she a- guarded other players, and she went and got Zia Cook and covered up her face so the cameras could not take pictures of her. ESPN and, should be ashamed. You know, it's a shame that arguably the best de- defensive player and, and one of the two best players in the country was not allowed to be on the floor like – the Iowa player was because of just, excuse my language, guys, piss poor officiating. I mean, and you saw it, you saw it, Bill Simmons, sarcastic tweet. Well, I'm I'm glad to see that uh, women's college basketball officiating is as bad as the men's, at least they're consistent. On Get Up this morning, Mike Greenberg and the, and his panel absolutely crucified the officials. 37 fouls in the national championship game. And what about a reserve for LSU who did nothing really against Virginia Tech, who did nothing against South Carolina, who averaged eight points a game? She scores 20 one points in the first half, seven of seven from the field, five of five from three, and two for two from the free throw line. That's the only reason LSU won the national championship. Angel Reese wasn't having a great game. She was just having. being like summer vacation in the second class or second half. No class. But, hey, no South Carolina fans shed a tear for Iowa in that championship game, I'll tell you that. I enjoyed that beatdown more than I, – I did not want LSU and Kim Mulkey to win the national championship in her second year. But I, I knew they were Final Four bound as soon as Indiana lost because I thought that was the only team in that regional that had a chance to stop them. And if we, we, we would have beaten LSU. We matched up better. Y'all, y'all it feels like – I'll tell you what, I didn't know how to tweet this Sunday without sounding super negative because I don't want to criticize the 2017 team, but kind of Sunday felt, I I feel like I felt like how 2017 UConn fans felt watching LSU win that game and just kind of saying to yourself, 
you know, we can beat this team. We own this team. We just we just didn't get it done the other night. You, you know, like like we let it get away from us. It, it, it it's it's almost the exact same tale. I mean, how many of us in 2017 were over the moon when that shot when when that girl from Mississippi State hit that shot? I knew South knew Carolina be- just won the national championship. That's right. But I'll say this: I think Dawn Staley changing the style of play with Elena Coates injury. I don't. Nobody was stopping them. UConn was not stopping South Carolina with that style of play. Alicia Gray was finally playing like the player you expected her to be, and it freed up more room. There was more movement, more things that Asia Wilson could do, getting her the ball in the middle of the floor and everybody else just getting the hell out of the way and letting her go one-on-one. Nobody was going to stop her. No body sorry Gino right and and so and I, I totally believe that that team could have beaten UConn in 2017 but like but 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 at the same time it 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 was it it's it was, it was an eerily similar tale where like the undisputed favorite you, you know the undisputed favorite loses and then the team that the undisputed favorite beat in the regular season goes on to beat the team that beat the undisputed favorite. You know, like it's, it, 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 it felt, it, it, it was, it, it was weird being on the other side of that, of that coin. Very weird. All right. So let's talk about this team. What's it looking like next year? We got to give a shout out to Boston. One of the best players or the best player to ever come through here. You know, I think that's a debate between that and, and Asia Wilson, but I think Boston and her career, I think it's going to be the shining pinnacle of what your potential can be if you come to South Carolina. But with Boston gone, and I didn't see Zaya Cook or Beal declare for the draft because the last night was the deadline. Or do I was they told to... they're gone. Okay, so maybe they didn't have to public. Maybe privately they took care of that. But I loved what Dawn said. I loved what Dawn said when she was asked about Boston and the presser, about what would you tell her. And, and she goes, I would tell her, stop getting triple teamed and go to the WNBA. <laughs> they have defensive I, three seconds there too, don't they? Yeah, and so uh and so you know it's it's um she'll, she's gonna shine and um and you you know like let's raise a glass to this to this crew because it's as good a team that, as you could ever cheer for. Now Keith, does Emma here do you think she's gonna come back or is she gone? I I was told they're all gone. Why wouldn't Emma Hare come back with her extra year? And she's a first round pick. Is she still going to go first round? I I mean, she's projected to be a first round pick. But I mean, Destiny Henderson was projected to be a first round pick. She wound up being a third round pick. I think with her his, uh, history, her injury history, and her upside. I think she's another player that will be much better in the professional league because she can take players one-on-one and there's a defensive three-second rule. I think she and Boston will be really, really good pros. Um, I'll be honest. I'm not drafting Bree Beal in the first round. I think she's too limited offensively. 
And um, I think Zia Cook is underrated. Now, as far as next year goes, if you if you say no transfer portal additions, which there will be, there most certainly will be. Especially if all five leave. Well, they're all gone. I, think I we, mean, we my, my source is, is, is pretty good on this. So let's say barring a, a change of heart, the, the die has been cast. They all five go. I think it's Raven Johnson, Breezy Hall, Chloe Kitts, Sanaya Fagan, and Camilla Cardoso. And I think uh, there will be transfer portal additions. But South Carolina has never had a guard as dynamic as Malaysia full Wiley will be. Do you think just have not play? Do you think she'll split time evenly down the middle with Johnson? I think she can play on and off the ball, as can Tessa Johnson, who scored 51 points in a, a game. How tall is she? 5'10". And okay. she can score from all three levels. She can handle the ball. She scored 51 points in one game. She averaged 24 points a game her senior season coming off of a broken femur. And she scored 27 in the state championship. Uh, Kitts was, uh, by all the premier scouting services, a top five prospect and most certainly would have been a McDonald's All-American. And she is a pure shooter. Her coming in early, I'm penciling her in. And then Fagan, even Dawn Staley said, the most talented post player on the roster, including Aaliyah Boston, and then 6'7", Cardoso. I do think they'll look for another post player, but Sanaya Ja is 6'3". She's a combo forward. Uh, so I like her. And, of course, I just think Talasia Cooper and Ashlyn Watkins will both take major leaps. And so th- that's 10 players right there that are going to be tough to handle, in my opinion. So that is your five off the bench, Full Wiley. Who else? Full Wiley, Johnson, Cooper, Ashlyn Watkins, and Jaw, uh, barring transfer portal additions, which there most certainly will be. What position do you think we'd be looking at at the transfer portal? I, I think we're looking at a big. I think a, a big and a shooter. Who would, who would have to leave additional or we can fit them with all the leaves? No, that, there's room. There, there's only right now 10 scholarship players on the roster for next season. Yeah, because we're 15. bringing in – we're. We're bringing in three in in Johnson, Full Wiley, and Ja. Oh, there's a fourth. And they're a fourth? Yeah, Chloe Kitts. Yeah, but she's already on scholarship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so we're bringing in three new scholarships in 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 those three. And then we'll be losing, if they all leave, we'll be losing Boston, Beal, Cook, Fletcher, Amihair, Fletcher. And um and Saxton Saxton and so that's Thompson. six so there's three there's three spots Thompson 
Was Thompson? Yeah, she was, she was a scholar. She was on scholarship. And for women, you can have 14. Is it 14? 15. Well, let's go get some people. And I'm assuming we're a pretty attractive school. Because we're yeah, going to have to see the poll. Did What's y'all that? see the poll that was taken of players? Oh, yeah, in the Sweet 16. Where, where, they were asked, where they were asked, if you couldn't play for your coach, who would you want to play for? All right. Don Staley, Don, 48. 48 players said Don Staley. Second place, I forget who it was, but but the coach had eight players. Eight. Well, that looks pretty good for the offseason. Yeah. I think it's it'd promising. Great. It'd be great to have some fifth-year um, seniors transfers because we need a little bit more older players because would you say this that we're gonna be kind of young next year I don't, know. I don't know y'all like I kind of I, I'm kind of cool with who we got too I'm kind of cool with our with, with our women here you, you know like like they're all good and this, they're gonna be kind of underdogs Sumter we're gonna be kind of underdogs next year this team I think it's a final four roster title. right now well, I'm just telling you, these ladies are going to ball out next year. Cardoso as a starter, Fagan, Breezy Hall, I, Raven. What, what I don't want to do, what I don't want to do is have to give some, some fifth-year person who's not better than Malaysia Fulwiley minutes over Malaysia Fulwiley. I don't want to do that. That would be frustrating. What? What, what what is one of the things about the freshies? You know, like Cook and Boston started in that season, the, you know, in that COVID season where they and lost Beal. to Indiana and only Indiana. Yep. Like, like if 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 Malaysia Fulwiley is the shooter and the guard that Keith's telling us that she is, I want to see her play thirty minutes a game, not fifteen. I mean, Dawn Staley said she's a generational talent, and I've seen I've seen enough clips. To me, she's a female Steph Curry. And I guess whoever plays better between Johnson and her will get more minutes. And you can play them both together, and right, and Keith, play Breezy Hall at the three. I got a bold prediction for you. Can my can Malaysia Fulwiley be as good as Caitlin Clark? A different kind of player, not a six-foot player, but I think electric offensively, just okay. electric. And I saw her in the McDonald's All-American game. She is as good as anyone else. Dude, she scored 11 points in two minutes by herself. She had her own 11-0 run. And, one, and two of those points was on a tip-in at 5'8". And she had a nice, what, uh, 27-footer? Three, that was nice, too. So it should be interesting next year. I think in the way-too-early top 25, they had us at seven, which I think is fine because if you lose five starters, I think as long as you – it just shows how they showed that Dawn can keep it up by putting us in the top ten. Any other team losing their starting five, I don't but think – But you're really be. only losing three starters, frankly. Of your best players. Yes. You're losing, but, but of those, uh, of the people that you quote unquote pencil in as starters, one of, you, you know, you, you're also losing LA, who's one of the first ones off the bench. No doubt. But who's going to be the, the person when the, 
when games get tough, who's going to be that person next year that takes over? Uh, so Camila Cardosa, who did it, who, who, who we, we haven't even spoken about this, but like we talked about LA in the second quarter, but it was just as much Cardosa in the second quarter of the Iowa game. You, you know, I mean, she was what seven for seven, got got every rebound, fourteen and fourteen on the night. Y'all, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here, and I'm just gonna say it. She's got what two years of eligibility left? She's got two more years with her COVID year. Before it's all said and done, Camila Cardosa is gonna be a Naismith Player of the Year. Ooh, so I could see it next year because so, I think. You know, South Carolina, their other post players, they can handle the ball. They can shoot the ball. I think there's going to be more spacing with uh, Cardoso in the post and just throw it in. She's 6'7". Good luck. Because as we all know, she is a willing passer. And you pass that thing out to Breezy Hall, wide open in the corner next year, Drano, just turn around and go to the other end. I and, think she'll be a 40% three-point shooter. And and ask Iowa, and ask Iowa, but Cardoso literally gets every ball that comes off of the rim. Well, my bold prediction next year is Saniah Fagan's going to lead this team in double-doubles. I love it. I think she can do it. That that's bold because because Camilla Cardoso is going to lead the lead the country in double doubles. Hey, so hey. it's going to be hard. I know it's it was be hard for Sanaya Fagan. It was, but I think think about this though. This year, Cardoso didn't get double teamed a lot because of Boston in there. That's true. That's when she true. gets double teamed, Fagan I think has a mean streak and can take over. There were a couple games at the end of the year she played eight eight six to eight minutes and she'd go on a six zero run by herself. I'm just telling you, when the double team happens, you bring Cardosa up to the free throw line and you go down to Fagan to go up for the buckets. I just I see that happening a lot next year. What's going to be funny is that Sonia Fagan could have a great season, be in the top 10, top five in double doubles in the country, and your bold prediction not be true. <laughs> All right, so Keith, you said it. You think this is a Final Four roster right now without any other transfers? I think there will be a couple of high-level transfers. But until South Carolina doesn't go to the Final Four, it would have been four straight. I mean, this is going to be Raven Johnson's team, Camilla Cardoso's team, Breezy Hall's team, Saniah Fagan's team, Ashlyn Watkins' team you're gonna have dynamic guards in full wally and johnson coming in that are mcdonald's all americans and i think you will add one or two difference makers out of the transfer portal this year because you are losing that entire starting five and uh, players sometimes want to win national championships and you know, all these returning players, they've all been to the Final Four except the three incoming freshmen. They know what it takes to win big games. They've been there. They've seen it done. Some of them have helped do it like Breezy Hall at Stanford. 
And I mean, maybe I'm prejudiced, but I just love the pure talent on this roster. And I think the South Carolina girls are going to show out next year as well as the others that we've talked about. Wouldn't you keep they're ready for the baton? At some point, you got to pass the baton. I and, mean, and and these and these women are ready for it. They they are they are ready to go from playing ten minutes a night to playing thirty. They are so ready for it that they they're just ready. Bryce, go ahead. Well, just think about this, guys. We have to go to Cleveland for the Final Four next year, and that doesn't sound very exciting than going to good old cold Cleveland. Might sound worse than Minnesota, but it won't be colder. It won't be as cold in Cleveland as it it was in Minnesota. I can tell you that. What's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame there? What else is in Cleveland? Anything? The the Great Lakes Brewing Company is in is in Cleveland. They, They make some pretty good beer. Okay, so we'll stay inside and drink beer. All right. I, I, I mean, that's, that's basically what you did in Dallas. Could do. Yeah. <laughs> well, it'd be great to go to the final four, but I'd love to have that decision to make because of it, you know, I, I would love some, a little matchup a rematch with Caitlin Clark in Iowa. Let's pencil that in as the game that if we can have that happen, that would be epic. So, but I mean, I'm, the great Gino has already proclaimed uh, that Caitlin Clark versus Paige Beckers will break all the records. What do you say, 10 million? Iowa has a lot of seniors on their roster, and so did UConn. I mean, to me, Gino, you got to beat Dawn Staley before you can talk about going back to a Final Four. And stay healthy. He, he can talk about the Final Four all he wants to, but he can't talk about a national title until he beats us again. When's the last time he won one? 16? That's almost, uh, what is that, going on eight years ago? Yeah. That All right, guys. Let's switch gears to the men. We had some news happen today, which I think out of all the transfers, when people have hit the portal, the one that I felt had the most likely of chance of coming was another Citadel guy, a fifth-year guy. Stephen Clark commits today. I Coming from what I've heard, Hayden Brown and him were friends, and he kind of led him here. And then he, I think he had a quote today that said he felt comfortable with Lamont with playing in the uh, against Chattanooga. Um, Keith, your your thoughts on Stephen Clark, 6'8", 205, fifth-year transfer. So, look, I, I do not think Stephen Clark is coming in uh, with the expectations of him playing 32 minutes a night and being a starter. But I do think there's a place for him on this roster. And I mean, I prefer a six, eight forward over a six, four power forward. He was second team. Also Connie average over 16 points a game, six and a half rebounds a game. And I think he's a guy that can fill minutes at the three or the four and can stretch the uh, the floor for you and allow for more spacing. And so I think it's a solid pickup. You know, I mean, there are a lot of other guys out there. There's the big Australian at 
Charlotte. There's the the six ten kid from Finland that is transferred from Dayton. There are a lot of other bigs that I think, you know, South Carolina is targeting to start and play 30 minutes. I also think they're targeting, you know, a wing forward that can score from all three levels that six, 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 seven there. There's one of those guys at Charlotte. There's some other players around as well. And so I think they still have three more spots. And I think they'll all be for the transfer portal unless I think it's uh, Federico. He could reclassify to 23. And you might want to go ahead and bring him in if he chooses South Carolina. Yeah, Keith, I kind of agree about Clark. I, th- I think it's a good pickup. I, th- I think it's needed. So, like, like one thing, w- one thing that th- that next year's team needs that this year's team didn't have is a reliable nine man rotation. Is what this team needs, and and um, and we didn't have it last year. Paris also, you you know, like. Like I, at what point in time does Paris even get hired? You, you, you know, like like he's he's already got two two commits from the transfer portal. He's got a decent guard in Cooper, and he's got and and now he's got a pretty a a, a decent small forward tweener power forward in Stephen Clark. To where if these two guys are the sixth and seventh men off the roster, we're in great shape. You know, like, 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 and and they're guys that we didn't, we needed Steve, Stephen Clark would have played for us on this team last year. And, uh, and, and he would have played a lot of minutes for us. And, and so I, w- what I like about this is that he's, he's go ahead. He's got a bunch of spots to work with. He's go ahead and accepting commits and getting guys signed so that now he can target a select few like BJ Mack, like um like that Mustafa Amzil guy from uh from Dayton, you know, like 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 some of the bigger fish out there to where if he doesn't hit on all of them, it's okay because he's filled out the rotation. The last thing we want to do is go into next year with a scholarship still on the books of somebody that we didn't take. And I think we have so we have two scholarships taken with these two transfers, Cooper from Minnesota and Clark from Citadel. I believe if my numbers are right, that leaves three spots available. So if my guess, my guess is we hopefully get another small forward and then maybe a power forward center with those last three spots. Keith, do you think that he'll fill those last three spots or leave one open like he did this year? I think if they can get the right three guys, they'll take the right three guys. Like if they could get Amzil and and the two uh, guys that are at Charlotte, one's a 6'11", 230-pound guy who had 93 assists and, and was the second leading scorer on Charlotte's team. And then the 6'7", 6'8", small forward who led their team in scoring – I think if he could get those three guys, I think he would absolutely take all three of those guys every day of the week and twice on Sunday and probably shout 
hallelujah from the top of Colonial Life Arena if he got him. And if he gets BJ Mack, do we just go running naked into the fountain in five points? Well, I wouldn't do that, but, uh, you know, there's some drunk college students that you probably wouldn't need to give much of an excuse that would do that. I mean, I think Mack is another guy, right? Like if you got Mack or Amzeal, if you, if you got two of the three and, and you put in uh, the, the big man from Charlotte, if you got two of those three, I think you would be absolutely elated because that's two starters. And then if if Diva gets back fully healthy and gets to the guy that had, what, five and a half assists at Coastal, matched with Cooper, what, six assists a game, it'll be interesting to see if they put Michi at the two. And imagine Michi coming off screens. And oh, I, no, I think you will see that. I think I, that that's, the, that's why uh, Talon Cooper – He's a six-four point guard that was sixth in the NCAA in assists at six point three a game. On a bad team, he had over six assists a game, and he shot almost forty percent from three. So I do think that allows Michi Johnson to play off the ball more. I absolutely do. I think the goal. I think the goal is for Michi Johnson to lead this team in scoring next year. I'd be fine with that, and hopefully he averages four threes a game. Yeah, well, well, well and 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 one of them's a thirty-five footer. <laughs> he, he he can make it from out there. Um, I just want this next this this off season. I just really want us to shoot free throws and and start shooting at a seventy-five percent clip as a team. Is that too much to ask for? I just I can't take another sixty percent for the team for the well, year. Bryce. Bryce, Josh Gray is going to play a lot of minutes next year, man. <laughs> so. Well, I love Josh Gray because when he's in, we at least have a chance to have a rebound. And then the guy that we're not talking about next year that I think is going to shine coming off the bench, Colin Murray Boyles, I think is going to be sneaky good and getting a lot of minutes. I'm thinking around the 15-minute range next year. Wouldn't surprise me if he played his way into the starting lineup near the end of the year, depending on what transfers we get late in the um, offseason. All right, so also don't forget Cesar Edwards, uh, who played with Trey Hannibal in, at Hartsville. Uh, he's in the portal. That's another guy. Ali Khalifa is the 6'11", 230-pound big from Charlotte. And then Bryce Williams is uh, the 6'7 wing. Khalifa... Average 11.7 points per uh, game. Led the team in rebounding at 6.3. And had 93 assists, which was second on the team. Compare that to South Carolina. Michi Johnson had 109 assists, and then no other player had more than 57. Wow. And then Williams, he led Charlotte in scoring at 14 points per game. But he came off the bench. He only started 13 of their 34 games. And uh, he was second team uh, all-conference USA this past year. I mean, those guys along with Mac, I think, you know, and Amzeal, those are the, the top 
portal targets that we're aware of right now. Do you think we make the top five tomorrow with BJ Mack? I think they do. It'll be curious to see if we can get in that top five and just be there at the end and let's see what happens because he is from Charlotte. It's not a bad drive down to Columbia. Top three may be tougher. He's he's going to have a lot of great options for sure. I, having a 6'8", 250, 260 guy, that is what we lack. When Josh Gray went out of the game, what did teams say? We can get rebounds on anybody when Josh Gray went out. And sometimes even with Josh Gray in because they would just box him out. But it's hard to box out size. No doubt about it. All right, guys. Three more spots for the men, the women. It's the offseason. We can't call ourselves the WGBO anymore. It was a nice few weeks of that. Um, any closing thoughts, Sumter? Hey, none. Speechless. I actually got one. I got one closing thought. I've loved the, the like I've said it like three or four times tonight. One more time, nothing but love for this women's basketball team, and um, and I think uh, we're never going to see we're never going to see a group of players like them, and um, and yeah, it wasn't how we wanted to go out, but at the same time, they they're going to be the winningest group of, of players. In, in South Carolina women's basketball history, probably for – hopefully not for a long time, but uh, but probably for a long time. I just want to thank them for everything they did on and off the floor and the grace and dignity that they did it with uh, despite fan bases – and national media writers calling and other coaches calling them thugs, street fighters, bar fighters, monkeys, and other just god-awful names. If you realized the class, I mean, there was not one misstep. There was not one bad tweet. There was not one incident in a game there was not one off the court incident these young ladies exemplified and were the epitome of what a student athlete is supposed to be and they were all class first class all the time their entire careers at South Carolina I have nothing else to say, Bryce. That was perfect. <laughs> Keith, we appreciate you jumping on and talking basketball. And it's about to be that basketball offseason. I think the championship game's um, still in the first half. We'll see who wins that between San Diego State and UConn. You guys got a pick for tonight? Who's going to finish it off for the men? UConn. Yeah, I had UConn. I, Bryce, when we did our, our deal, Sumter couldn't be on. I, I I, th I did have UConn in the Final Four. I still think Texas, if Dylan DeSue is not injured, uh, that would have been the team that would have won it. But injuries are a part of the game. And their guards, just their legs, they ran out in the second half. They couldn't make shots. But, man, 
that FAU San Diego State National Semifinal was as good a game as there's been in the Final Four in a long time. That's right up there with the uh, Duke and Butler uh, going back several years ago. I mean, that game's decided on a buzzer beater where the guy literally, the ball leaves his hands with like three or four-tenths of a second to go and does not go through the net until after, you know, the clock has already expired before the ball goes into the rim. Just a phenomenal game. It's been a crazy men's tournament. I don't think anyone saw all that happening this this off this this tournament. It was a truly a year of upsets. And I mean, do you call that buzzer beater from Florida Atlantic just how they had that game and the, the guy from San Diego State who just out of nowhere runs out of room and just throws up a shot and it just goes in. Hey, and shout out to Bob Ritchie and the purple paladins, baby. F you to your purple. They took out Tony Bennett. And Gamecocks, don't compare Dawn Staley to Tony Bennett, okay? She's never lost as a one seed or a three seed to a 14 in the first round of the NCAA tournament. That's erroneous, erroneous on all counts. She's also got she's also got twice as many natties, Keith. Well said, my friend. And we'll end it on that. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll do it again when we hear about some, hopefully some transfers for the men's and women's. We'll see you guys again next week or in a few weeks. We'll see what happens. Thanks for joining Keith Sumter. Go Cox. GBO out.